episode 14 of Talk That Talk, and I'm your host, Fallon Stokes. Today, we have a special guest, Demarius Bilbo, super NFL agent. Welcome to the show, Demarius. Hey, Fallon. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. we I appreciate you joining. So just to give a little bit of background about you, you're from Moss Point, Mississippi. You graduated from Moss Point High School, where you were a baseball and football standout. Um, you won the Dick Buckus Football or Football Network National Player of the Year out of Mississippi, beating out the late Cedric Benson, which is awesome. And you were also drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers as a pitcher. You had a 96 mile an hour fastball back in the day. 90, 98, but okay, I'm step off. Two miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then you committed to Georgia Tech, where you were signed as a quarterback. Eventually, you transitioned to a receiver playing with the likes of Calvin Johnson and um, some other great players at Tech. And then you eventually signed on with the Dallas Cowboys where you were in the NFL for about two seasons. So after making that transition or you were done with your professional career, you decided to become that you wanted to start becoming an NFL agent. So tell us a little bit about that process and um, how did you even get started with wanting to become an agent? Uh, it was never really me wanting to become, you know, an agent. I'm, I'm more of a passion purpose guy. Um, and, you know, I had a baseball representative or uh, what they used to call them, an advisor. I had a baseball advisor um, out of high school that helped me navigate through the draft on the amateur draft. And when I got to tech, I had already kind of become familiar with the process of, you know, having an agent or having a representation. And, you know, obviously on the football side, it's a little different. And, you know, I, I started to get a lot of calls from agents on the football side, you know, and obviously as a quarterback, it was a lot different than my, I got switched to wide receivers. So um, it was more so me becoming what I was, you know, agents are people who represent athletes. I was already athlete. I started seeing a lot of these guys come in and I'm like, Oh man, he's an agent. And they had nothing in common with the player. They couldn't communicate with the players. They didn't know where the players come from. They most of them didn't really even care about the player as a person. They just wanted the contract and wanted to sign the guy on. So I started to see uh, basically the disconnect in the industry, you know, between agent and player. And I wanted to kind of fill that void because I knew if anything, I could connect with the person that was the player. Okay. Okay. So, you know, recently I know you made a lot of news. You just uh, joined forces with Clutch Sports. And uh, we know on the basketball side how big clutch sports has already been, uh, very dominant, you know, high-profile athletes with the likes of LeBron James. And now you join with Rich Paul with being the head of uh, the football division, and you're bringing some great players to the table as well. So tell us a little bit about how that came about and when did you make that decision that you wanted to join forces with clutch sports? Um, it, it, again, that wasn't something that was just by, I guess, doing the right things. Uh, Rich Paul being one that's like myself, he's a young African-American that represents athletes. Uh, I think Rich is a couple of years older and I think he's 39, going on 40, 37. Uh, we both uh, started our own agencies. Uh, Rich, obviously, with Clutch, and I had my company, Revolution Sports. And uh, I was gaining a lot of interest. I was doing it on my own. Really didn't have a staff or a back office. It was just me doing what I knew how to do. Um, signing good players and, and negotiate contracts. And uh, Rich got this amazing opportunity where, you know, he uh, started to gain the, uh, the interest of a lot of Hollywood t- uh, talent firms, um, William Moore's uh, United Talent Agency and 
they wanted to start a sports wing. And what better person to start a sports wing than Rich Paul? So he ended up doing that with United Talent Agency and um, wanted to get, get into other sports. And he reached out to me because I own my own agency. Um, I had other companies like CAA and uh, Wasserman, you know, trying to acquire me. And, you know, when I sat down with Rich Paul, it was a different vibe. It was more, you know, it's kind of like being in a locker room. You feel that camaraderie. It's like, OK, this is someone I can grow with. This is someone that take the sports away from it. This is a person that I like as a person. Forget the business side. I just like him as a person. He's very thought provoking. You can see everything he's done with LeBron James and say, OK, well, that's LeBron James. But then you start looking at Draymond Green, Anthony Davis, all the other players he represents. And just the culture that he's created at Clutch. And I wanted to be a part of that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, you know, you two uh, being Black men seem to have had similar backgrounds or just roadmaps a bit of starting out on your own, learning the process, learning the game, and then just building your own agencies to where they are now. So I, I think when I read that, I was like, those are two people that I think really need to join forces. I think, especially being a Black man, and representing a lot of these black athletes. Um, but you grew up in Moss Point, Mississippi. Tell us a little bit just growing up in Moss Point and just how did it shape you and just becoming an athlete and then what you are today in a in an NFL agent? Um, you know, small town living, you know how that is. All all day you're outside. I think I learned how to throw baseball from throwing rocks at cars and stop signs and things like that. And okay. Really didn't know what I was doing in sports. I always knew I was bigger. I was, I was fast and, you know, had an athletic ability. But, you know, growing up with a single-parent household, my mom was all about books. She she didn't give a damn about sports. You know, she was like, if you don't make these grades, you ain't going to be anything. I don't care how fast you can throw, you know, how good you are on the football field. I was a late bloomer in football. I didn't really start playing football in like eight, ninth grade. But I was a baseball player. It just so happened our baseball – one of our baseball coaches was a football coach and – you know, they, they kind of set me up that if I didn't play football, I wasn't going to be able to play baseball either. So I kind of got tricked into playing football and, you know, uh, started. I was a backup quarterback my junior year of high school. I started getting a lot of calls from team, NF, I mean, NBA, I mean, MLB teams. And I didn't know about amateur draft or anything like that and talking about that they were going to draft me in baseball. But I found out that colleges didn't get full scholarships in football. So that's when I really started putting all my eggs in football basketball. Mm. I can get drafted in baseball, but if I want to go to college, they only get partial scholarships. And all I kept hearing was partial, partial, partial. I was like, no, I need a full ride. So I played football, ended up winning uh, National Player of the Year, Gatorade Player of the Year, USA Today Player of the Year, all that good stuff in like a year. So I was like a late bloomer in football. Um, but just growing up in Mall's Point, I saw a lot of people fail because mm. they – too much on sports so I knew at that uh, young age that you know even though sports was what I did it wasn't who I was going to become I wasn't going to let football or baseball define who I was because I know those things could be removed those things could be taken away and that's kind of the message I share now in terms of shaping an athlete you know every athlete is not going to be the highest paid or they're not going to make it to the second contract so it's really just allowing them to use a platform because you you are an amazing basketball player at Georgia Tech. You went to a school like Georgia Tech, so you have a platform, regardless of how basketball turned out or how football turned out. If you have a platform, you have to develop around that platform. So, you know, being from Mall's Point, it showed me a lot of what to do, but more what not to do in terms of, hey, when you get that opportunity, don't just focus solely on football. Don't just focus solely on the sport, but focus on things around the sport because – 
I'm I'm living my passion and my purpose out even more so than I would be playing sports right now, you know, because I'm 37 years old. It's not very many 37 year old football players in the NFL, you know, right. God willing, I can do this for the next 20 years and continue to influence and affect people like I wanted to do in football. Mm -hmm. And I I think that transitions too. also like I know with you and and Rich Paul is so much about, you know, empowerment in your clients, self-empowerment, building your own brand. And, you know, what's the move after your career is over? So how have you guys shaped your athletes or your clients or what's the focus that you're trying to keep them in the mindset of understanding the importance of building a brand so they have um, an extended livelihood after their career is over? Um, I think it's more so it starts with education, you know, education. And really, most of these guys have been in bubbles. Most athletes are in bubbles. They have so much structure around them. You know, they're, they're putting so much time and energy and effort in their work. Is really educating them to create that balance to say, yeah, there's an in-season and an off-season. Every athlete has an in-season plan, but most of them struggle with the off-season. They don't know, you know, what's available. They don't know, you know, the type of access that they have at their uh, disposal. But more importantly, they've never thought outside of the box of being an athlete. Every single athlete has that same dream. When you come in as a college freshman, is I'm going to play my butt off to get to the professional ranks of my of my sport, whether it's basketball, baseball, football. Then when that happens, you know, it's, hey, I got this contract. Now I want the bigger contract. You know, mm-hmm. that could be an eight to 10 year process. And, I, you know, I sat in the locker room with Terrell Owens as a Dallas Cowboys uh, player. And, you know, I came in as an undrafted guy. This is Terrell Owens Hall of Famer that we're speaking about. And I've seen some of the struggles he's had. And, you know, me as an agent, I don't necessarily like blaming that. On, you always hear people blame the player. Oh, he spent too mm-hmm. much. Did that or he did, but what about the person that the that the that signed this guy when he was right. a prospect when he was twenty years old, nineteen years old? You know, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, my second overall pick and third overall pick. These guys are twenty one years old with millions of dollars. You know, most people at that age thing. You think about I'm getting twenty one million dollars at twenty one years old. The world is already solved. Every problem is solved for me. You know, right. that's not the case. So it's more so educating these guys and empowering them to say, look. You are a young black man that very good at your sport. You have a lot of talent, but that's not the say all be all because they're going to judge you based on what you do on the field right now. But when the career is over, you know, what does off the field, what does the professional look like? And again, they call you professional athlete for a reason because the professional comes before the athlete. If you don't have the business figured out, I don't care how great you are as an athlete. When that athlete title falls off, when those knees give out, that back start hurting and you just age. Yeah. time is undefeated, like they say, you know, you're left with professional. And what are you going to do with the professional part of your career? Are you going to sit back and just contract, contract, contract? Or are you going to build relationships, build networks, you know, and create some kind of passion and purpose outside of football? And that was that's, that was the reason why it was so easy for me to walk away from the game, because I knew I had a passion for representing, you know, and it was so much easier for me to transition. You know? Oh, that's, oh, that's great. great. Yeah. Um, I know also, you just, just mentioned, mentioned- some of your players that you signed this past draft. You had Chase Young. He went number two overall. Uh, Jeff Okuda, he went number three. And then you also had uh, Makai Becton. He went number 11. So three players almost in the top 10 of the NFL draft. And then you just had this big, well, your current client, Alvin Kamara, just signed a big contract with the Saints uh, right before the season started or about a week ago. So just tell us a little bit, like, what process when you're preparing for negotiations, like going to the table 
um, for Alvin Kamara or just the other athletes you just signed recently who just got drafted? What's your mindset going into those negotiations? Well, it's first off, uh, it's always managing the expectations of the athlete. You know, everybody wants to be the highest paid. Um, everybody uh, puts a value on themselves and use that value comes from production. Right. And uh, at, at, at other times, you know, the team puts a value on the player. The player puts a value on himself. And you ideally want to meet somewhere in the middle because the player is never getting what he think he deserves. And the team is not going to pay the player what he thinks he deserves. They, they're, they're all, they have a roster full of an NFL 53 people that they have to pay, including practice squad players also. So it's always that middle ground where you have to manage the expectation of the client. Um, me going into negotiation is, again, it starts with educating and empowering because uh, we live in a media age where players are going to read things, they're going to see things, they're going to hear things that may not always be the truth. You know, most of the things that they see and hear are opinions by reporters and, you know, by people out there, like in, in regards to Alvin Kamara with his negotiations, a lot of people telling him that he wasn't worth $10 million a year. He wasn't worth $11 million a year. And we end up getting $15 million a year. You know, so mm. you know, there are certain things that you have to manage in terms of the expectation, but you also want to create a, a, a fair negotiation, a fair environment for the team also, because I don't want to be that agent that just goes in there and just sticks it to the team because I know that I'm, I'm going to have to work with them again. Somewhere, somewhere right. the so it's all about I'm not a scream and yell guy. I'm one who I want to make sure that I'm prepared, that I have not just a statistical analysis, but who this guy is as a person, what does he mean to the team? What does he mean to the organization the community? You know, has he affected uh, change in the community off the field? Is he someone that the franchise see they can keep around and grow with? Because, you know, that's a big factor in sports, too. You know, you've seen a lot of players that did it on the field, but they just wasn't a person that someone wanted to give millions of dollars to because they're like, hey, is this guy going to be around to make the rest of this money? And how would we look as an organization giving this kind of money to this player who's done a, B, and C off the field. Just piggyback, and I'm going to start talking about, you know, NFL players. We're dealing in this social justice climate right now. Um, and, I, you know, specifically with the police brutality we're seeing, you know, with Black individuals being murdered by the hands of the police or killed. Um, explain, like, some of, the, like, the racism that your clients that you may know of or you heard of, they may face in the NFL and especially just with this climate or just how that affects the psyche of a professional athlete. Well, I think, I think everybody who's played a professional sport, whether it be from, you know, these crazy fans that are a little too involved in the game, mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, people like the one reporter told LeBron to shut up and dribble. Right. Know, these people are so caught up in the game. They forget that these are human beings that are playing the game. These are, living, breathing people that have emotions, that have opinions. And just because they play a sport, catch a football or dribble basketball, doesn't mean that their opinion doesn't matter. It, it probably, in some people's eyes, it, it matters more because they have a platform to speak on. You know, right. so I've had a lot of players, you know, this is well before, you know, all the, the, the police, the George Floyds and all this stuff. I've had plenty of players that were threatened whether it be some crazy person sending them something because of their fantasy football team didn't score enough points, just crazy stuff. And, you know, Alvin Kamar being an uh, African descendant, you know, um, he's been told to go back to Africa more than he count. You know, so, yeah, it's real to them. And I think when Kaepernick did what he did and kind of opened up that door for players to have a, a bigger voice, you know, all of these experiences that have been held in, you know, not just from a Polish brutality side, but me, me being a, I mean, you've seen me in person. I'm a large 
African-American male, you know, mm-hmm. I've been pulled over and, you know, these cops that have pulled me over automatically. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm one of the nicest guys around and I get pulled over and automatic aggression. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, serious. Like you pulled me over here in my license registration. So all of these experiences, you know, we all have had. Um, but I think, um, again, educating the athletes on, you know, it's, it's the craziest thing in the world to have to tell grown men how to deal with police, you know, when you're out or how to do this, and how to do that. You know, hey, it might be best for you not to drive. Just use Uber. The NFL has a Uber program, a Lyft program, all this stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a constant, you know, education and, and a fear that, you know, who's next, you know, um, because of how they look, you know, because of how they dress, because of what they drive, you know, are they a target, you know, so, this whole process, I'm glad that the conversations are being had. But again, you know, I'm always on my toes. I'm always, you know, ears pointed up because I'm just waiting for something, you know, to happen uh, close to home. Right. Um, so it's interesting you mentioned Colin Kaepernick. So that is, you know, when he decided to take a knee back in 2016, all this backlash that you were getting from politicians, just people who were fans of the NFL saying they weren't supporting it, and even NFL owners and Roger Goodell. And then now, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, you have the NFL starting new initiatives uh, for social justice or criminal justice reform. And they have pledged $250 million for these platforms or these initiatives. So tell me your thoughts. Is that something that's going to be helpful or something that, you know, the NFLPA or players were really happy to see the NFL do? Or how do you think that will affect the NFL and their fan base moving forward? Well, I think I think um, Roger Goodell did a good thing by coming out and first admitting that if they would have got behind uh, Colin Kaepernick in the first for me, it would have been a lot different environment in the NFL. Um, in regards to the fans, you know, the fans have to understand that without the player, there's no game. You know, so I think it would best suit the, the fans to support the players in their messaging because at the end of the day, it's in my opinion, it's not a black thing, it's not a white, it's a human thing. It's a people. Like if, you, if you can't sit back and say, that this is just bad because not because it's black lives, but it's a life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Life. But obviously it happens to us a lot more than, you know, the, the a white male or this male or that male. You know, so that's why the focus is on us. But I always tell people to approach life like sports, like the same fan that's cheering for, you know, Todd Girl. And, and one thing I found out in sports is that whether you're racist or whatever, you know, you love sports. You know, that same person that may not have dinner with a black athlete, I can guarantee can watch a sport and watch his favorite team and cheer for that same athlete. Might not invite him in his house, but he's going to cheer for him when he makes a good play or scores a winning goal or whatever. So I always tell right. people, approach life how you approach sports. Like, that's sports are the one thing that despite how you may feel about a person or how you may look at a person, you can come together and find a way to win. You know, I think that's the same way we need to approach the environment. Like, if you can go out there as a white offensive lineman, a white quarterback, or a black running back, or a black wide receiver, and you can compete on that field, and you can have a common goal to win the game, why is it so hard to to be that in life? You know what I'm saying? Despite the differences. Because, again, I have my preferences. I have my differences with people, black black and white. You know, but at the end of the day, if you have a common goal – then it should be met and you should be strategized. Okay, despite how I feel, because everybody's not going to like everybody. That's that's just human nature, you know. So I think in regards to how the NFL and the 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 conversations that have been started and led by the Colin Kaepernick's and Eric Reeves of the world, I think it's opened up the box for 
fans, players, you know, owners, all these people to really take the team approach and say, you know, this group is suffering. How can we help that group? You know, how can mm-hmm. how can we help that group change their circumstance? Because, you know, these are the same men that are out here, you know, leading these billion dollar franchises that are putting fans in the seat. So we should care about them, not just from business, but because they are our brother, because if we can win with them on the field, why can't we make sure they're safe off the field? You know, and that's what it all boils down to. Oh, I think that's an excellent point. Okay, so let's get on the NFL season. So the season opener started. It was a big game between the Texans and Chiefs. Uh, first time that I can remember that it was highlighted by two black quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the in, in for the season opener, which was huge, um, especially in this climate. And then last night, highlighted again, two black quarterbacks. You got uh, you had Lamar Jackson and you had Patrick Mahomes last night, Patrick. Patty, my homeboy, I like to call him just like Shannon Sharp. So tell us, is this the new, like, mindset of the NFL? Like, we're seeing black faces, especially as quarterbacks, being the faces of the league? Or do you think this was just a coincidence in this climate right now? Um, I think it's more attention that I to focus on it because of the climate. Um, I would, not speaking for every athlete, but speaking for the athlete um, as representation, I'm sure that. Patrick Mahone, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and all the other ones, you know, they want to be the starting quarterback of their teams because of on merit, because they can do the job. Not because they're right. because that's the cool thing right now to have a black quarterback because they can do the job and they happen to be black. You know, and that's the same way I feel as an agent. You know, I don't want to hire, I don't want someone to hire me because I'm black, a black athlete to hire me because I'm black, but hire me because I can do the job. You know, right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a coincidence and uh, not really so much a coincidence, but just more focuses on it because that's what everything is about right now. Everybody's black. Everybody's paying more attention to, you know, the success stories of African-Americans because, you know, when there's so much negative light with the deaths and, you know, and, and the things that's been happening to our race, I think to pull some positives out of, you know, hey, look how many African-American quarterbacks are starting or, you know, look at this and look at that. I think that brings more attention to it because of, you know, you need some of those feel good moments, you know, just to uplift the race because of so much that's been put put on put on our backs. Right. Right. I think that's that's so key. I just thought it was awesome because it's nothing I've really seen in my lifetime. But I was just of the mindset. Was it a focal point or was it just something that it was a coincidence? But that was some great feedback. So today, you know, after the games on Sunday, the Titans, uh, Tennessee Titans reported that they had eight positive COVID-19 tests. So. We're dealing with a new time frame of just having to play sports during a pandemic. Um, they said none of the Vikings players have tested positive, but both have decided to close their facilities until this upcoming Saturday. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Do you think the NFL is going to be able to complete a season with COVID-19 still ongoing? Yeah, I think you have a bunch of, you know, high paid executives and, you know, very intelligent people running the process of, you know, putting these protocols in place. So up until this point, I think they've done a very, very good job. Obviously, you know, players have to follow protocol and make sure that, you know, they're doing everything that's been put in place to protect them and their teammates. You know, and I do think that we can continue with an effective season if these protocols are continuously followed. Okay. Leading into the NBA finals. I want to get your finals pick. Uh, The Lakers and Heat. They made it. That's the two teams playing in the final starting tomorrow night at 9 p.m. on ABC. 
So I, I know you like basketball a little bit. Tell me who you picking for the finals. I'm, I'm going Lakers all day simply because I think Rich Paul has six players on the Lakers. So. <laughs> It would, be, it would be against me to go with, with <laughs> even if he represents one or two players on the Heat. He got six on the Lakers, so the numbers. I know, yeah. I know. he got some local it. KCP from it. Uh, you know the Metro Atlanta area. He has a yeah. few people on that roster. I'm a Lakers fan anyway, so I'm happy you said that. That's why I asked you. Yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts about how they've handled the whole bubble situation? I know we just talked about COVID nineteen for the NFL. It's just too many players. You can't put them in a bubble. Um, but it seemed it's been successful for them. But do you think playoff time for the NFL that it may be an option for them to have like smaller bubbles for the playoffs? Um, yeah, I think I think again the NBA because of the size of the rosters, you know, it's it's more efficient and effective way. I'm not sure how that will work uh, with the NFL because mm-hmm. there's so many players, you know. Right. Um, and I think every league has its own design and its own format for the protocols. And, I mean, we're going into, what, week four of the NFL season. I think it's worked very well up until this point. You're going to have, you know, outbreaks as the baseball did in MLB. I think you have right. the Marlins had some outbreaks. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if I've heard many on the football, basketball side. But that's just, you know, that's that's an obvious thing that you're going to have some outbreaks. I think as long as it can be contained and controlled, you know, the leagues can proceed with with their seasons. Got you. Um so we talk also about, you know, it's a, it's a low number of black coaches that we see either in the NFL or the NBA. And then yesterday, you know, Doc Rivers, who possibly could be a Hall of Fame basketball coach once he ends his coaching career, gets fired by the Clippers after they did not make it to the finals. So, you know, tell me your thoughts about just black coaches and how hard it is, I think, to keep those jobs for, for professional teams. Uh, well, I, know, I can't speak much on basketball because it's not my, you know, lane of, you know, uh, knowledge. I, I obviously am a fan of the game, and you know, I see this across every sport with African American coaches. And I know the NFL has gone as far as putting the Rooney Rule in place um, years ago, that basically says that these teams and they have to, you know, interview a minority for one of these uh, main positions, coordinators and head coaching position. And again, I'm always about you know, hire me on merit. Um, right. And, you know, just even going to Georgia Tech or, you know, going to other, you know, uh, having opportunities to experience other things as a black man. My mom always told me that, you know, you always have to be a little better, uh, a little smarter and, and, and always be a little earlier because, you know, if you don't, they're going to use it against you. So, you know, I've seen plenty of coaches that, you know, I've come in contact with that, you know, could do the job, but didn't get the opportunity. I know, you know, front office people, you know, that look like myself that are so, I mean, they, they're, they're top tier in their positions, but they don't get the general manager nods, you know, and I'll stay away from calling names and, and mentioning names, but they know who they are, you know, but it's, it's sometimes it's looked down upon, you know, when you're a black man working in these position and you never get the, I mean, it's discouraging. You know, I know how it is sometimes when, you know, I go in and tell a young African-American client, you know, how we'll be representing them. You know, this is not just about football. It's about life after football. And what better person to tell you about life after football than someone that played the game, you know? And then, right. you know, a, a white agent comes in and, you know, I run into that player down the road and he hits me up, man, I should have signed with you. And I'm like, why didn't you? He was like, well, he gave me this money or he made me this promise. And I'm like, wow. You know, I'm like, that's what it boiled down to. So, you know, I know on the coaching side, it's unfortunate that, 
you know, some of these guys who work their whole life to get in position, you know, never get an opportunity. And if they do get opportunities because of the rule that's been put in place that says, hey, you have to interview somebody of this minority, you know. So, um, again, it's unfortunate. I'm still mad about I remember one of my favorite coaches coming through the, through the college ranks was Tyrone Willingham. I think mm. game. And I, I don't I don't think Tyrone's got a job. I don't know if that's by choice or what. Man, that's a throwback. I hadn't heard his name in years. That's yeah. a good point. He was one of the best coaches. And, you know, you see some of the things that go on right now. And this is no shot at anybody, but we can look at the hometown team right now. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know I've heard of many. Why, why don't they fire Dan Quinn? I'm not, I'm not the person to be in position to tell who needs to get fired or what. But you have to ask yourself, you know, would an African-American man get that many shots? You know, I know right. Steve Wilkes, who went out to the Arizona Cardinals, I think Steve was the uh, he was the coordinator, you know, for the Falcons, special team coordinator. He got the head coaching job at the uh, Arizona Cardinals and was done after one year. Was fired, you know, was fired. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you see these type of things happen, it's kind of like I always kind of go back and get political with it. You see the the nonsense that Trump has been keeping up since he's in office, and then you look at you know how you know uh, prestigious and how how much, you know, pride and, you know, prestige that Obama carried his campaign. To, to, right. He was in, you got to think, you was like, man, if Trump did, if Obama did half of the stuff that Trump did, would he have been in office? Would they had, you know, just got him out of office? And, you know, you got to ask yourself this, if this race over here does it the same way they're doing it, would they get the same opportunity? So it's kind of like in football and I see some of these things happen, but again, I was raised to not, you know, look at things from black or white, you know, but more so from right or wrong perspective. Mm. And, mm. But again, the, the the environment we live in, the world we live in, it's kind of hard for things not to, you know, not to go black and white when some of these some of these situations and scenarios. And I definitely agree with that. Um, so I know, it, you know, we talk about mental health, especially in this climate in a pandemic being, you know, of serious concern to a lot of people, especially professional athletes. Um, I just saw the story about Delonte West. Uh, the former NBA player, Mark Cuban, actually picking him up or having someone pick him up from a gas station because he's been homeless over the last year. And he has a bipolar disorder that he was very open about when he was in the league. Um, What have you dealt with, I think, with just your players or just, you know, stories you may have heard since you've been associated with the NFL as an agent about how serious mental health can be for these athletes? And are, is the league putting the proper parameters with physicians or doctors, you know, so players can reach out and have someone to go to to have a, a release when they're dealing with these mental health uh, issues? Well, I think, I think the NFL and NFLPA always, you know, they lead with, you know, player first. And, mm-hmm. and that's one thing I can, you know, attest to and be proud of is that they, they put a lot of things in place to pre- protect the player. And whether that be, and you see just how the game has changed with all the rules now in terms of right. tackle and how you hit, that was player first, player in mind first. Even though some fans may think the game has gotten soft, it was to protect the player. So with the mental health issue, I think there are things, there are resources, there are programs in place. But when you're a big physical player, athlete, who's in some light seen as a superhero to by your fans and by your peers, because of your athletic proudness, you know, I think it's a situation where even though these things are in place, the player still has to have to utilize, them, you know, and sometimes the pride of these young men kind of gets the best of them because they feel that if I go out and, 
you know, and I show people, and that's why I always have the, the utmost respect for Brandon Marshall, you know, mm-hmm. and what throughout his career. And sometimes you see guys that are living in that moment where you know something is wrong and you want to reach out to help them, you know, but again, you they want to have they have to want to help themselves. And we essentially, because of the platform that they've had in terms of being NFL players and superstars, you 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 essentially see them ruin themselves right in front of our eyes. You know, and right. I, I won't call any names, but you know, guys like Brandon Marshall and guys who have publicly come out and said, I have this, I have this, I have this, you know, I think that shows the strength of that individual to put his business out there in front of millions of people and to be somewhat judged, you know, uh, by the things that he may that may be more private to him and his family, but he's being judged, you know, and fans can use that rival fans can use that against you. You know, people on the other side of the ball can use that against you because they know you're struggling and you're dealing with that. So again, you know, I've had players in the past who, who struggle with depression, you know, struggle with, you know, social anxiety and just, you know, it's a lot to ask when you, you know, go from college athlete to NFL athlete and, it just becomes a whole new business for you. So it's a lot to deal with. I've seen it first and foremost, you know, firsthand where I've had guys to get help, to push guys to go see a doctor, push guys to like, whether it was just didn't know how to handle family because they couldn't please everybody. I can't pay everybody's bill. Mm. They developed some kind of, you know, anxiety and didn't want to go around family and just wanted to be by themselves because they thought every time they got around someone, it was going to be a handout or somebody's asking for something. So you know, I mean, all these situations have been things that, you know, I've experienced firsthand, you know, not just from being representation to the player, but being the former player. You know, I've had situations where, you know, I was transitioning from, you know, college athlete to professional athlete, going undrafted, trying to make it, and then not knowing what the rest of my life looks like. I read a story the other day about Brandon Brown, former cornerback um, for the Seattle Seahawks. And he's now in prison um, serving, I think, a five to eight year sentence, you know, and to read his story, you only it only leads you to think that, man, if he would have got some help and got some early. Yeah. You know, sitting behind, you know, uh, bars right now. So, you know, all of these things are stuff that you want to try to get ahead of. But again, it starts with the player. It starts with the player really opening himself up, speaking to the people that he's put in place, whether it be advisors or agents or you know, close, close people that he trusts to just really give them some help because it's a hard transition. I think most athletes struggle transition, you know, when mm-hmm. you your whole life, when this is all, you know, that's is what you, and I said before in this interview that I didn't want to value myself from sports because I know at one point sports will end. So if my value came through something that was going to end. Am I really that person? You know, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of who, you know, I've developed myself to be is not one who defines himself through, you know, a sport or a thing, but through my creator and through yeah, who's my faith in, you know, and, and just being a son of God. And that's how I kind of define myself versus, you know, these sports and things like that. So, again, that's not for everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's a whole other conversation. But, you know, again, I've, I've been blessed to be in a position to be able to talk to these young men and coach them through some of these difficult times because all of them will go through. I don't care if you're a first round pick or you're the last pick in a draft. All of them have experienced and will experience this type of um, these mental health issues. Mm, that's so true. And um, great point. So I always like to end the show with the triple TQs. I call them the talk that talk questions. So it's three of them. And I just want to get your responses and see what you tell me. So 
The first one is what advice would you give to an aspiring sports agent? What advice? Uh, again, educate and empower. Always read, always gain knowledge, and always be someone who that doesn't look at another person. Look at another person for inspiration, but don't look at that person to imitate them. You know, mm, that's a good point. Is <laughs> you know, when I got into the business, obviously we know the late Eugene Parker, who was probably mm-hmm. one of the American agents. You know, uh, we know Tom Condon, and even the guy I worked for, uh, Todd France, who's one of the best agents right now. You know, don't ever get into something trying to be someone else. Look them for inspiration, but not to duplicate what they do. Be who you are. Make sure you're gaining all the knowledge. So if you really want to be an agent, read every contract, read every article, you know, whether there's some truth in it or not. You know, just read it to gain that knowledge because I think experience is developed through really educating yourself because every business hasn't worked on a hundred contracts or mega contracts or all of them don't represent. So top players, you know, so there's very few agents in this business that have a great client base. Now, it's a lot of agents in the business, over 800 agents, but it's only probably 10, 15 of them that have like a lion's share of the players. So it's a hard industry to get in. But if you educate yourself and really uh, gain the knowledge around the sport, you know, it'll help you navigate the space if that's what you choose to do. Mm. Good response. So what effect do you hope your joint venture with Clutch Sports uh, Group will have on professional athletes? Uh, to continue to change the culture. I, I love, you know, the acronym, what uh, Rich came up with, what Clutch stands for. The K is knowledge. The L is longevity. The U is understanding. The T is trust. Um, did, I, did I spell that right? <laughs> yeah, you're still spelling it right. You got to see in an H. <laughs> Uh, communication and honesty, you know, so, gotcha. you know, really, you know, those those words and that definition of what clutch stands for is really just affect the culture. You know, take these young men and and, and, and people, I think people sometimes get it mixed up that it's just for black athletes because it's black led, you know, uh, by Rich Paul being the uh, the CEO and owner of clutch. And, you know, um, then myself being African-American leading the football division and then our basketball guy, Omar Wilkes, is African-American you know, who represents, you know, Trey Young and, and and he just got Anthony Edwards, who's projected to be the number one pick. Wow. In you know, represents those guys. And, you know, just because we're black led doesn't mean that that's all we're trying to change. You know, obviously, you know, when Rich Paul was named to um, the board of directors at UT, which is the partnership in which Clutch uh, did the venture with, you know, Rich made a comment that he wanted to make sure that, you know, all people live up to their potential and succeed you know, in the face of systemic inequality, you know, and he wanted to make sure that he was giving people that look like him an opportunity and fair chance. Yes, we're here to change, you know, uh, the positions, you know, the culture of what a black athlete has been defined as and what they've been seen as. But it's not just the black athlete. You know, uh, our partners at UTA, you know, you have some very powerful, you know, Caucasian males, you know, uh, that don't look like us, that may not be where we're from, but they are open to thinking like us, you know, and, and, and how we think and just creating that conversation at least to, you know, bettering everyone, black and white, you know, and anything in between. So uh, I think that the partnership on my end, you know, uh, I just want to really help empower these athletes to know that, hey, you do have a platform and with the right brand and the right plan, this is not a three-year, four-year thing in terms of the contract. This is a lifelong change that you can see by using this time as an NFL player, as a professional athlete, 
to really open up some other doors. Mm. Yeah, no, that's key. I mean, open dialogue is always major, even in this climate we're living in. That's the key in politics. If we have more open dialogue, I think we can handle a lot more stuff or see each other's uh, perspectives in a different mm. light. Um, this is the last question for you, Bilbo. What is the legacy you want to leave for future generations? Future generation. Well, I think I think the word legacy starts with yourself first. You know, um, I have a young son. I have a daughter. You know, uh, they're both too young. My son's 12. My daughter's 16 months. So they're both too young to really understand and know what we're going through in terms of the climate of the, the world. Um, I think the legacy more so is just that I was one who used the platform to change something. You know, um, uh, my grandma used to always say she's old Southern lady. She's passed now, but she's always say closed mouths don't get fed. You know, and mm. I think that when I speak, I want it to be uh, a really thought provoking conversation that leads to change. You know, and that's always the question when Colin Kaepernick took the knee or when Eric Reed, you know, said what he said and all the other players, you know, LeBron James. And that's what I like about the clutch athletes is that, you know, they don't just talk, but they change things when they talk. You see LeBron come with the more than the vote campaign, you know, right. we got. Uh, partner Alvin Kamara with NASCAR. He's an ambassador of NASCAR now. You talk about wow. African American male with nose ring and dreads that's out there waving a red flag. I mean, red, red waving the flag at NASCAR. You know, but to put programs in place to introduce people to the sport of NASCAR because that usually doesn't look like us. And you know, again, uh, I want to be in a position to say as representation because again, it's easy to be an agent. Agent is just a transactional person that's negotiating the contract. That's easy. But am I being efficient and effective representation for the for the athletes that look like me? Because I've been there. You know, I may not have been there on that first round, you know, uh, uh, Chase Young level, but I was in the NFL and I know what happens when it's over. Every mm -hmm. athlete, how you go in, you're going to experience the same thing going out in terms of your transition. So I just want to make sure that I'm preparing these guys. And when you hear the legacy of Demari and my part in clutch sport. It really begins with, hey, were my players prepared to make that transition? Were they prepared to deal with real life? Because we all know professional sports sometimes creates a bubble around these players to where they think, you know, hey, my life's going to be good forever. You know what I'm saying? And it's not always the case. So, again, legacy starts with myself, making sure I'm educating myself and getting information back to the players and their families and just creating that that brand and that plan to where when they look up 10 years from now, five years from now, and some of them maybe three years from now is one who helps. Got you. Well, no, I appreciate you, Bilbo. Uh, those are some excellent responses. And I think it's going to really enlighten a lot of people, our viewers and listeners who uh, listen to this episode, because there's so many things I think that we don't know. And you're on the inside, we're on the outside looking in, but you can give us some firsthand knowledge of just about, the issues that are going on and then for aspiring young sports agents and aspiring professional athletes so they can have something in mind to follow. But I appreciate you joining the show, Bilbo. This was an excellent interview. Absolutely, Fowler. Thank you for what you're doing and keep representing GT Proud. I love it. Ah, yeah, always. Always that GT connection. Well, best of luck with your future endeavors. Um, you know, stay close. I'm always be watching, seeing what you're doing, but we're proud of you and just keep up, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing some great things. Thank you so much, Fella. Likewise. We'll talk. Have a good All day. right. You too. Bye-bye. So we just had an excellent interview with 
Demarius Bilbo, um, NFL super agent. Please listen to the podcast this week. We're going to do the audio. It's not going to be put on YouTube, but just want to give you guys some perspectives. We're going to show some clips and some highlights so you can see parts of the interview that we had with him. But he gave some great knowledge as an NFL super agent about his clients and about what it takes to be a black man in this industry representing players who are making millions of dollars. So please listen to episode 14 with Demarius Bilbo. It was a great interview. But I'm going to continue the trend like I always do every week and shout out a black business. And this week, the black business I'm shouting out is actually the clothing I'm wearing right now is support black lives, but it's actually support black colleges. It's the support black colleges clothing line. And they put an emphasis on supporting historical black colleges and universities, but just simply using the line support black colleges. And a couple of episodes ago, we had Xavier Peoples on and he talked about HBCU change and the importance of starting to donate or be a supporter of a lot of these HBCUs that are not well funded. But I think this product line, it takes you back. If you attended an HBCU or if you didn't, it reminds you of that old vibe of a different world or even the movie School Days by Spike Lee that was very popular in the late 80s. So I love this T-shirt. They have some great deals going on. So go check them out. Go support this Black-owned business. The shirt is comfortable, and I like what they're doing. They're continuing the trend and staying with the movement of just trying to support support the Black community. So we have to support them. But if you want to see the apparel they have, you can simply go to their IG page, which is support Black Colleges. Or you can go to the website, which is simply supportblackcolleges.org forward slash. So go check them out, purchase some product, and that's the Black Business shout out for the week. Well, we like to do it like we always do and ending this show. This is episode 14. Great interview with NFL super agent Demarius Bilbo. But this was another one. Stay tuned for the next episode. We got episode 15 coming next week. But this is episode 14. So please listen to this episode. Subscribe. We've had some great interviews. If you haven't heard our previous interviews or shows, they're all on YouTube or they're all on our social media or our media platforms, which include Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. We just got newly put on Amazon Music, so very popular. And of course, we put everything on our webpage, which is through Buzzsprout. So continue to trend, subscribe, follow us, and thank you for listening this week. This is episode 14.